some names and identifying details have been changed to protect the privacy of individuals. This, Justin, you are looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. I know what I did to my husband, family, and friends is unbelievable. And honestly, if you find what I did unforgivable, I wouldn't blame you. I was in the kitchen pouring myself a cup of coffee when I looked out the window. It was as if time slowed down and the city went silent. A dark cloud of smoke started to form and started to take over the sky as if someone had thrown a blanket over the city. A plane crashed into one of the towers. What was happening? What do I even do? And that's when it hit me. I can go. This is my chance to finally just go and never come back. So I ran to my room. I grabbed my bag, threw on a jacket, and left. I heard the phone ring. I always wonder who was on the other side of that call. Was it my husband? Mother? How many times did they call again until they gave up? I was born in Queens, New York on August 3, 1973. My parents, Oscar and Lorena Ortega, already had my three sisters, Carolina, Judy, and Beatriz, before I was born. My father and mother were immigrants from Cuba. They came to America undocumented during the Freedom Flights era. Their options for work were very limited. As you can imagine, they took whatever job they could get their hands on. When I was born, my mother had no choice but to stop working in order to take care of all of us. We lived in a one-bedroom apartment where I shared a queen-sized bed with my three sisters, and my parents slept in a pull-out couch in the living room. Even early on, I hated the way we lived. I knew I deserved my own bed and my own room. I knew I deserved better. The only good thing was that I was my father's absolute favorite. When I wanted something, he made sure that I would get it, even if it meant that he had to work more or miss a meal. He treated me and loved me like I deserved to be. When I was 23, my father had a severe heart attack. I thought I had lost him, and that honestly was one of the scariest moments in my life. When I went to see him, there he was, laying on the hospital bed, fragile. Nothing was going to be the same. Once he recovered, he struggled finding work. He was fired from his job. You know what they told him? They told him that what? good was keeping him if he wasn't going to be working. And you know, and that actually happened a lot. It happened to me Tia Marina when she became pregnant with my little cousin. They're not real humans. And in their eyes, they don't deserve any type of rights. They're viewed as trash. And once they're no good, they dispose and replace. My mother had to go back to work. And at that time, I was the only one still living at home. That meant I had to go find a decent paying job so I can help financially as well. I struggled to find a good job. So I was stuck being a housemaid with my mother for some time. We worked for Mrs. Richardson. She lived on the east side of the park. Miss Richardson was a nice lady, but working for her made me hate my life. When she wasn't home, I would explore her closets, try on her fancy dresses and fur coats. I would imagine how my life would be like if that was my home my closet. My clothes. 
and I would snap back into reality when I would catch a glimpse of myself on the mirror, looking like a mess with a duster in my hand. Ugh. A rage grew inside of me, and I promised myself that I wouldn't let myself live like that anymore. I would be rich no matter what. And trust me, nothing and no one would get in my way of that. I had finally landed a job as a secretary in a financial firm in Manhattan. I was completely unqualified for the job, but I knew how to charm my way into getting what I wanted. And once I saw that I was being interviewed by a man, <laughs> I knew all I needed to do to boost my chances was to undo the top button of my blouse. This is where I met Andres. He was the maintenance man. I got to know Andres over the first couple of months. We got close. We both lived off the same stop on the C train. So we would take the train together because he said it wasn't safe for a lady like me to take the train home alone. I mean, yeah, he was right. <laughs> At first it was kind of annoying, but you know, I actually started liking him. This is the same time when Quinn started to notice me. Quinn was my boss. He would find random times to come to my desk just to make conversation. One day, it randomly started to rain, and I told him that I forgot to pack an umbrella. He offered to give me a ride home after work. I obviously refused at first because I wouldn't want him to see my neighborhood and see that I was poor. But he insisted and insisted, so I caved in and finally said yes. And when we clocked out, we both headed to his car, and I gave him directions to get to my house. Once we arrived, he couldn't believe where I lived. He asked me who I lived with, and I said I lived alone. He told me that no beautiful woman like myself should be living alone. He kissed me on the cheek, and I said goodbye as I got out of the car. I waved as he drove away. Once his car was nowhere in sight, I started to walk. The closest train station for Mrs. Richardson's house was a 15-minute walk. The next day, Quinn asked me to go out for dinner. The more I started to get to know Quinn, the more I realized how rich he was. His father had passed away in 2000 and left him a substantial trust fund, to say the least. That was really the only thing I liked about Quinn. The sound of his voice made me cringe. His touch made my skin crawl. But he was it. My opportunity to get the only thing I ever wanted. Money. Quinn would give me his credit cards and I would just go crazy buying anything I could get my hands on. In the first week, I actually spent $10,000. <laughs> actually, I remember telling my father that I had been promoted at work to explain all the new clothes, shoes, purses I suddenly had. I even told him that with this promotion, I could finally afford to move out, to get my own place, while still helping him financially. He was so proud of me. I made sure to buy the sexiest lingerie I could get my hands on in order to convince Quinn to let me move in with him. We started living together six weeks into dating. Six months in, we got married. My family did not attend the wedding. You know, I actually told Quinn that I did not have any family, that I was the only child, and both of my parents had died tragically in a boat accident while coming to America. You know, the more pathetic I made myself seem, the more Quinn pitied me and showered me with gifts. You know, typical white man savior complex. The wedding guests consisted entirely of Quinn's family and friends. I finally had everything I wanted. Being with him was loathsome, but 
I just couldn't leave. Here I am with a man who is blindly in love with me. I have him so tightly wrapped around my pretty little finger. How could I ever let that go? But then, and even now, my heart belongs to another man. You know, and this would occasionally cross my mind during those five years Quinn and I were married. But I was the picture-perfect wife. And I would never, never let those thoughts of him jeopardize the money I worked so hard for. So, I never saw Andres again. You know, <laughs> you know what the funny thing about all of this is? I always was so careful about my money. And the one time I was just a little too careless changed everything. On the night of September 10th, 2001, my father had found out about Quinn. He had cashed a check that I had given him and it bounced. That's actually how he discovered that the account's name was under Quinn's name and not mine. The bank teller told him that Quinn was my husband. I had gone to my dad's place for my weekly visit and I had found it unusual that I wasn't greeted like I normally was. Instead, my father stayed seated and mumbled, I know. I laughed and asked him, what the hell are you talking about? He said with conviction, I know about Quinn. I stopped dead in my tracks. I had never seen my father so angry. And I tried to explain to him that everything I did was to better myself. Why wouldn't he want that from me? He was also benefiting from it too, so what the hell was so wrong with it? He stood up from his seat, grabbed me by my arms and said, I'd rather be poor than take money from a puta like you. He then threw me on the ground and said that he was going to confront Quinn and tell him the truth. What an ungrateful son of a bitch he was, right? And I remember grabbing the closest thing near me, which happened to be the lamp my abuelita gifted my mother on their wedding day. And I smashed it on his head. And I just like couldn't stop until I let out all of my anger. Once I snapped out of it, I had realized what I had done, and I honestly couldn't believe it. I just grabbed my things and headed to the door. You know, I actually heard him ask for help as I closed the door. And I just left him there, on the ground, to die. I stood in front of my house, dusted myself off, took a deep breath, because I knew that once I set foot inside my house, I had to make sure it was business as usual. I kissed Quinn goodnight as I got into bed. And the next morning, I left. You know, thinking about it, I never found out about who was on the other side of that call. As of today, 1,000 bodies of 9-11 victims haven't been found, and everyone believes that I am one of them. Voicemail from September 11th, 2001. Isadora, Isadora, contestame por favor. Alguien mató a tu papá.